my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Week in Politics on the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. What a week it has been. We are still reeling from the political earthquake of Kwasi Kwarteng's sacking as Chancellor and his replacement by Jeremy Hunt amid rumours that... Tory grandees are discussing a possible unity candidate to replace Liz Truss in number 10. We'll be getting analysis from long-serving Labour backbencher Steve McCabe, a former Lord Commissioner of the Treasury in Gordon Brown's government and a former Shadow Minister for Children and Families under Ed Miliband's leadership. We'll also be joined by the Byline Times political editor, Adam Bienkov. Before that, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our must-read monthly newspaper, which has loads of exclusive content that you can't access online. The latest edition has just gone to print, and I do recommend it to you. It's very good, and we can report without fear or favour because there's no billionaire or shadowy corporation telling us what to say. Our funding comes from ordinary subscribers people like you. So if you can, please subscribe to the Byline Times. You get full details over at our website, bylinetimes.com. Subscriptions start from as little as £3 a month. More details, as I say, at bylinetimes.com. Welcome then to Steve and to Adam. Steve, you've been in Parliament since 1997, currently serving as an MP for Birmingham Selly Oak. Can you remember a week like this? No, no. I don't know if there's ever been a week quite like this. I think it is pretty hard. I mean, I think the the nearest thing I can think of for the Tory party, of course, they were in opposition at the time, was when they moved against Ian Duncan Smith. And there are some parallels, I think, with, uh, with trust. You know, Ian Duncan Smith became leader because he was the preferred candidate, not the candidate they wanted, but he was preferred to Michael Portillo. And I think in much the same way, uh, Liz Truss became the leader because she was preferred to Rishi Sunak, but not because they wanted her. So there are some parallels, but no, you have to go some to find a week like this. And the shortest lived chancellor ever. Well, <laughs> I suppose he's got his place in history, but <laughs> no, I mean, I, I was in for Treasury questions earlier. I mean, it was woeful. He was awful. And I, I see that Chris Philp has been moved as well. I mean, he was number two at the Treasury. He was he was worse. So, I mean, it was painfully obvious that they weren't going to survive. <laughs> I don't know what it says for Liz Truss, because if she has... And Kwasi Kwarteng seems to be suggesting was actually the architect of the budget to a large extent, then I'm not sure that ditching the two of them is necessarily going to save her neck. Are you on standby for an election? Yes, is the short answer to that. But, I mean, the Tory party will do everything in its power to avoid an election at the moment because... Like, you know, Turkey's voting for Christmas right now, I would say. And Adam, we saw this coming, I think it's fair to say, in our previous podcast. Uh, have you heard the suggestions that these Tory grandees, as they are called, these senior Tories might be plotting to oust Liz Truss? Yes, it's, it's underway. And in fact, on WhatsApp groups frequented by Conservative MPs, they are openly discussing the possibility of bringing in 
a sort of joint ticket with Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt, both of whom stood against this trust in the in the recent Conservative Party leadership contest. It doesn't feel like that's about to happen, but it's certainly being openly discussed. I think one of the the kind of arguments against it, which was actually made in one of these WhatsApp groups by Nadine Dorries, uh, the former Culture Secretary, is that it's going to be a very hard sell for the Conservative Party to say one month after a new Prime Minister coming in, to then suddenly change again to somebody else without even holding an election among Conservative Party members, and then to then go ahead and not have a general election. And I think there will be a, a real clamour were that to happen for a general election to happen sometime soon. Uh, I think it'd be quite difficult for the Conservative Party to resist that. Yeah, Nadine Dorries has accused Sunak supporters of a plot to overturn democracy. This from an MP who served under a prime minister who attempted to illegally prorogue parliament and in support Mm. of another prime minister elected only by Conservative party members. Yes. She's she's possibly not on the strongest ground giving her support for for Johnson. But, I mean, the, the mood among Conservative MPs is pretty bleak. I mean, we're saying it's been a remarkable week. It feels like what happened with in, in the sort of final months of Johnson, because sort of condensed into the matter of days. And I think at the end of the Johnson period, although Conservative MPs were angry about what had happened and how Johnson sort of thrown his the opportunities he had away, there wasn't this same kind of sense of depression. There was a sense that the Conservative Party were, you know, a bit behind in the polls. But they thought, you know, maybe if we get a new leader in, we can we can turn things around. You know, when you're looking at the polls at the moment, Conservative Party up to 30 points behind. One poll on List Trust today suggesting that she now has the lowest satisfaction rating of any prime minister since records first began. Most Conservative MPs just find it very hard to see how they get out of this, regardless of whether List Trust leaves or or sticks around. I was speaking to one Conservative MP about how they thought that the Prime Minister had done in her press conference following Quasi uh, Quartang's resignation, and they described it as unbearably awful. And I think that's that pretty much sums up how Conservative MPs feel about the performance of the government over recent days and weeks. And is the suggestion then, if the Tory grandees have their way, that some kind of Sunak-led coalition of Conservatives would assume power without even going to Conservative Party members. I know that now that Liz Truss has been elected, she's in power in terms of how the Tory party sees things for at least mm. a year. That There can't be a letters to the 1922 committee for at least a year after she's elected. So is that the suggestion that, that well, the- and maybe Penny Morden would just take over? Yeah, well, I mean, this is part of the problem. They haven't really worked out how it would happen. But yes, you're right. As the rules currently stand, she is safe, quote unquote, safe for the next year. But those rules could be changed. And those letters are already going into the 1922 committee asking for a design. And I think if there were enough letters to go go in, and they and they may already have enough letters have gone in, then the suggestion is that the chair of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady, could decide to call a meeting of the organising committee of the 1922 committee and change the rules to allow a contest. Were that contest to take place, there is real nervousness among Conservative MPs about allowing another full contest with lots of candidates and it all going back to the membership. They're worried they could end up with someone potentially even worse from their perspective than this trust. They really want to prevent that possibility. 
And one way to prevent that possibility would be either there to only be sort of one candidate that comes forward, which seems unlikely, or that they raise the threshold of the amount of votes among MPs that that candidate has to get in order to get through to the second round to such a level that only one candidate could get through. I think that's probably the more likely option of how they would do that. But, you know, it's quite convoluted. My own sense on this is it looks difficult and it looked difficult to see how Johnson could be ousted as well. What it really comes down to is, does the party have the will to get rid of her? And once they found the will to get rid of Johnson, a way was found. And I think a way would be found to get rid of Liz Truss as well. It may be a case of just her cabinet refusing to serve under her. It may be as simple as that. But the question is then, would that lead to an election? Or do you think the likelihood then is that the Conservatives would attempt anyway to insert another Tory MP into Downing Street? Yeah, I think undoubtedly they would attempt to replace leader and, and resist a, a general election. Looking at the polls at the moment, I don't think that would help them. I think it's, it is kind of delaying the inevitable, their own de- inevitable demise in the polls. I can't see a way that this ends well. But, you know, Conservative MPs are going to be looking at Trust's performance, looking at the polls and thinking, surely it, it can't get any worse than this. Surely a change is, is better than, than sticking with what we've got now. They're possibly not quite there yet. But these things are moving very quickly and it's not impossible to to think that we could have a challenge within the next week or so. Steve, if you can take off your party hat for a moment, this is surely indicates a real flaw in our democracy that party members of a particular party can elect a prime minister who might then come in and impose a budget which is nothing like the economic promises that were made at the time of the election three years earlier. And then if that prime minister doesn't satisfy their own MPs, that party can then choose another prime minister. I mean, that isn't democracy, is it? No, as you say, I mean, it happened in the Labour Party as well. The membership elected a leader who wasn't at all welcomed by the wider public. There is clearly a danger in giving so much power to a very narrow group of people to make a central judgment that then has implications for a much wider group in the public. I'm not entirely sure if there is a a simple answer to this. I mean, I'm inclined to argue, and again, you know, I I recognise that Labour has done exactly the same thing. I'm inclined to argue that where there is a change of leadership, other than in you know an obvious emergency, someone takes ill or someone drops dead or something, where there's a change of leadership for political reasons, shall we say, where the person loses the support of their own party, I'm inclined to say there should be an election. That should be maybe an automatic situation, unless it occurs where there is, you know, there is a dire emergency in the country or something else that would suggest that it needed to be postponed because I can't really see how that person ever has that much legitimacy. If you think back to Gordon, Gordon Brown, I mean, that election that he didn't call became an albatross for him and, uh, you know, it damaged him from that point onwards. So... For people who don't remember that, Steve, there was a moment, wasn't there, when Gordon Brown had assumed power from Tony Blair, Labour were doing okay in the polls, and there was a strong feeling that Gordon Brown would call an election to get the public to confirm his legitimacy as Prime Minister. He bottled it, essentially, and from then on was perhaps seen as a a lame duck Prime Minister. Yeah, I think that did Gordon a great deal of damage. 
I mean, obviously, the way things have unfolded in the last few weeks, the massive departure from the promises that were made when Boris Johnson was elected in 2019 means that whoever's in charge of the Tory party at the moment has no legitimacy in terms of an electoral mandate. And Steve, you were there all the way through the Blair and the Brown years. Gordon Brown went into the 2010 election off the back of the financial crash. Now, of course, if you look back at that, ultimately it was greedy bankers who were to blame, greedy financial organisations. Labour also earned criticism as well, though, for being too light touch on regulation. But as you went into that election and the polls were showing against you, was there a temptation to think, well, let's hold on, things might get better a little bit around the corner. How difficult is it as a backbencher to to go into election knowing that you might lose your seat or you, as a government, you might lose power? The smaller a person's majority, the more they fear an election and the more everything becomes an excuse for putting it off. The terrible irony about Gordon's defeat is that had we had a little bit more time to explain the role he'd actually played in the financial crisis, we may have got a much greater benefit out of it. As it was, the coalition which took over got the benefit by blaming Labour for what had happened. I mean, I I sat the other day listening to ministers telling us that all the problems that the government are currently facing are to do with global issues. I was reflecting on how many times that plague Cameron Osborne group blamed every single thing that was happening in the country in 2010 on the Labour government. <laughs> you know, so there's a kind of irony there. That at that time, we certainly did have a global financial crisis. Actually, at the moment, it's quite obvious that some of our problems are global, but quite a lot of them are homemade. And events in the last couple of weeks have intensified the difficulty of most of the homemade ones. Going back to the financial crash, I mean, as I say, I I think any fair-minded person would acknowledge that the greed of financial institutions were a significant factor in that. Do you think Labour should accept some blame, at least, for the the kind of light-touch regulation? You do have to remember that it largely started in America with these junk mortgages. So, I mean, to some extent... It was a contagion and it did spread to the UK. But yes, I mean, I think it would be fair to say if we had more time again, we would have had much tighter regulation of some of the financial sector. Of course, a a funny consequence of that is that following that crisis, pension funds were advised to invest in a higher level of gilts, government bonds, as security for pension funds so that they didn't run into that difficulty. And what we've seen in the last week is that uh, the actions of the government can can turn pensions into a crisis because of what they've done to government bonds. The new Chancellor, Adam, is Jeremy Hunt. And like many politicians, once he disappeared from the stage, as it were, or the, the top stage of politics, he somehow reinvented himself as a kind of a more cuddly figure in the way that Michael Portillo did. But he's now back as Chancellor, and I've seen tweets from Jeremy Hunt talking about the need 
to aggressively cut tax, for example. So although he's seen as a a unity candidate, he isn't necessarily going to be that different to Kwasi Kwarteng. Well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because he did stand in the contest that Boris Johnson won in 2019. He did pretty well in that. And then he kind of went off the radar following that contest and seemed to lose a lot of his support. And when he stood in the, the recent contest... He didn't even make it, you know, into the into the first round. He, he couldn't get enough MPs in order to get into the into the quite a wide range of candidates that actually did make it into that first round. But as you say, it's a strange choice from Liz Truss because the reasons that we understand that she has sacked Quasi Kwarteng is over his decision to make these massive unfunded tax cuts. Actually, Jeremy Hunt was calling for even more massive unfunded tax cuts when he was running to be prime minister and suggested that the corporation tax should be reduced to 15%. Actually, when he stood against Boris Johnson, I think he suggested it should be even 12.5%. So it it does seem a very odd choice to have chosen someone on the basis of restoring sort of uh, the government's credibility for fiscal prudence to then have somebody who, who potentially could have made the current situation even worse. Yeah, and he does seem somebody who is more closely allied to the socially liberal Cameron Osborne wing of the party. Economically, though, he is dry, as we have just heard. And I suppose the question remains then of whether Liz Truss can reach out and build bridges with other parts of the Conservative Party, who it seems to me, and from my soundings, who are in open revolt. Yes, I think his economic policy aside, I think you're right. I think he is... I suppose his kind of vibe as a politician is closer to the kind of Sunak wing of the party than it is to to Truss's wing of the party or Jacob Rees-Mogg's wing of the party. I mean, a lot of the problems that Liz Truss is in at the moment is down to her failure to do that in the first place. When she formed her cabinet, there was pretty much nobody within it who didn't support her candidacy for prime minister. And that was a massive mistake on her part because it left a lot of big beasts within the party who hadn't supported her on the back benches. And as we are now seeing, plotting against her, people like Grant Shapps, for example, and the former chief whip, June Smith, who has also tweeted confidence this week, suggesting that he doesn't have confidence in her. So that was a big mistake. Is the appointment of Jeremy Hunt going to be enough to turn that around? I don't think it is. Um, I think the mood among Conservative MPs now is is so bleak that, you know, just appointing Jeremy Hunt, who isn't even that popular among Conservative MPs anymore, I don't think really is going to be enough to turn things around for her. Yeah. And whether you look at Conservative commentators, people like Danny Finkelstein in The Times, Andrew Lillico in The Telegraph, whether you look at magazines like The Economist, you know, very orthodox in economic terms, The Financial Times, all of these individuals and the publications I've mentioned are saying that Liz Truss is toast. It is only a matter of time before she goes. Yes. And it was the case with Boris Johnson in his final months that, you know, similar assessments were made, although there was always a sense with Johnson that he'd survived so many scandals and sort of come back from the dead politically so many times that maybe he would find a way around it. Because ultimately he was a very, and is still a very uh, talented, skillful politician, despite his many faults. Truss isn't demonstrating any of that political skill. And from her press conference following Kwasi Kwarteng's resonation, which was bizarre in part, there was 
Uh, I don't know if you saw those long pauses after, you know, when she was trying to ask journalist questions and the whole thing lasted about seven minutes and she stormed out. I mean, had Johnson called a, a press conference, he would have taken a lot more questions and know that you have to kind of ride these storms out and be seen to be answerable to some of the controversy. The fact that she only stuck around for seven minutes and then walked out just shows that things aren't going to get better for her. She hasn't got the political skill and, and the nous that she needs to turn the situation around. Steve Labour will inevitably be asked about their economic prescription for the country. What is it? I think Rachel Reeves said it out fairly clearly at the conference. I mean, we, we don't disagree with the Tories in the need for growth, but we think that growth comes over a much longer period of time and you have to set the conditions for growth. So the borrowing that you do should be for investment. In our view, the biggest single area of investment should be the transition to a green industry, which would have the benefit of creating new jobs. It would have the benefit of cutting home energy costs and it would have the benefit of improving the environment. We think that is where the biggest difference can be made. But we actually recognise growth comes over a five, 10 year period where you say a stable environment for investment and you simultaneously have a massive skills development programme. So you're training people for the new jobs and you're able to match those to the developing industries. I would say that, you know, fundamentally is where we should be going. The problem with Liz Truss's prescription is she seems to think that you can borrow, give money away in tax cuts and that somehow magically that in itself in a time of high inflation is going to lead to growth. I mean, I, I don't think there can be a, an A-level student in the country would believe that. No, although Patrick Minford, the uh, eminent Cardiff University economist, seems to still believe that, judging from <laughs> recent interviews I've heard with him. How long, Steve, how long do you think Liz Truss has left in 10 Downing Street? It is difficult to judge. I was thinking about that when, when Adam was speaking earlier. I mean, I can see why they would be really tempted to try and engineer some kind of dream ticket with Penny Morden and Sinai. I can see why they'd be tempted. But whether or not anyone, the king, the public, anyone would wear yet another change of leadership without an election, I think is debatable. The best bet would be to develop a mysterious illness for Liz Truss that allows her to depart the scene. And I said, I wouldn't put it past the Tories to pull some trick like that. I mean, the sense around Westminster at the moment in the Tory party is either derision or despair. And it is hard to see how, despite the things I've just said about the difficulties, it's hard to see how she can last to the new year. Adam, how long do you think she's got left in Downing Street? Oh, it's always difficult making these predictions. I think on balance, I think she's out sooner rather than later despite the difficulties in the, the kind of mechanism of removing her, despite the lack of a clear alternative to leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, I just think that she, in in the short time that she's been down the street, she's just demonstrated herself as being so inept and every decision has been so catastrophic that I think it's only a matter of time that before she sort of stands on enough rakes that, that end up sort of pushing her out of, of Downing Street. So I agree, I think it's... I think it's likely before the end of the year 
that we at least see the announcement of a of a new contest or, or a replacement for in, in Downing Street. Adam, thanks very much indeed for your time. As always, Byline Times political editor Adam Bienkoff. Thanks also to Steve McCabe, MP for Birmingham Selly Oak. I'm Adrian Goldberg. This has been The Week in Politics on the Byline Times podcast. Don't forget you can support our work and get some fantastic journalism as well by subscribing to our monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. You get full details over at bylinetimes.com. That's all for now. See you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.